call your attention, first of all, to the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. The first few verses of this 53rd chapter. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so I turn again just now to the third chapter of John where we read, beginning at the first verse, John 3. Now there was a man of uh, the Pharisees named Nicodemus, member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of heaven, of God, unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you have to be born again. The wind blows wherever it, it pleases, you hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, 
the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mentioned a few moments ago as our assurance of pardon, the 16th verse, one which we're all familiar with, and I make that the foundation of this message this morning. The love of God compels us to recognize that we are not a small group of people who happen to like certain things that happened at the time of the Reformation, however important they were. But we are a group of people who by our very presence here this morning announce that we are here because God's Spirit has entered our lives and He's made us into His children. Oh, it is a wonderful thing when that happens. And in that connection, I would just like to take a moment to bring you the greetings of a mission that we as a church, even as a congregation, where Mary Lou and I are members of this congregation, we've become involved in a mission that has simply astonished us to observe as Russian-speaking people have come to an understanding of the sovereignty of God's love. And when we were able to be here on a regular basis, we would talk about it sometime, but it still amazes, it still astonishes me. Tomorrow when I speak with Sergei Karpenko in our usual Monday conversation, I will tell him that I was with fellow believers, believers who were involved in bringing the gospel to that part of the world. The gospel is the most powerful force in all the universe. The gospel of Jesus Christ, accompanied by the presence of the Holy Spirit of the living God, is exactly what the Bible describes it to be, dunamis, dynamite, which comes and changes structures, makes them different, and sanctifies people who were living in rebellion to God, against God, the gospel. And this morning, I would like simply to remind us of it once again and remind us as well of the enormous responsibilities that we have to bring the gospel to the world. Because God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. This is the greatest power in the world. And I think about this congregation and what it has gone through over the last decade or so, whatever the case may be. And I would like boldly to suggest this morning, no, not just suggest, what comes from the pulpit is not simply a suggestion, it is an obligation. We, who are part of a church like this, must understand that that which has changed our sinful souls, the power of the Almighty God, is not just something we can rejoice about, but it is a power that is designed to change people everywhere. I say this, and I don't want you to think that I'm boasting in any way because I am not, but to see among the Russian-speaking people that we have worked with now, four campuses with 600 students in four different places, one of them still in Donetsk, where if you read the newspapers yesterday or listened to the reports, the battle still goes on between those who hate. And all we can say of it, of that particular mission, is this. God did it. God did it. It is not the fruit of long-range planning of very, very fine ecclesiastical people who said, now we must know. God does his mission in his own way, in his own place, in his own time. And as we read this passage and think about it this morning, we recognize together that the reason that people come to Jesus at all is this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How long have you known that text? I've known it, if I may use a Dutch expression, von Kinsbein af, when my legs were this long. I knew that text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And when we know something that long, it can become simply an embellishment part of the furnishings of our lives. And we fail to shudder when we read it and feel ourselves move to the depths when we read it. But this text is about the most powerful, regenerating, changing force in the world, and that is the love 
of God. You know, I think there's something very wrong with this congregation. And I know it's there because I have it myself. And that is this. We can become accustomed to the Bible and accustomed to the love of God. Accustomed to it. We've heard it so long. We've known about it for so long. The devil smiles when he realizes we can read over a text like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. I'm preaching on this text this morning, but I have to make a confession about it. I certainly don't understand it. And I don't think any one of us here understands it. When we think of God on a morning like this morning, we drove over here from a little distance, and we see it rains in a few places, and then it's dry, and we think, yeah, God, he does these things. This book that lies open before us is a book about the love of God. In fact, I will go one step further, and I will, will even say this. I think we have become way too accustomed with this book. The, 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 the truth about this book is that the words on its pages have been written by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. He wrote these words. And sometime you think to yourself, when we've been a Christian for so long, we don't realize that this is the great miracle. This book is a miracle that lies there. And it tells us this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You all, most of you people who are here this morning, you, you know me and you know that I'm by no means a young person anymore. I've known this many, many years. And we can become accustomed this great work of the Holy Spirit that put that Bible together. And we can understand that, yes, certain times of the year we, we think about the crucifixion of Jesus. Yeah. We, we spend time, we, we have a Lenten season, we think about that. Yeah, that's true. And we fail to see brothers and sisters, that this, this, these, these are facts that are duplicated in no other area of human experience. The love of God is so enormous that the only way we could learn of it 
was that the Holy Spirit is here and wrote it for us. He loved the world so much that he gave. That word gave should make us shudder because that word gave means that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was dishonored with the most ugly death imaginable, strung up for people to see as he hung there between two criminals and the blood of his body was released with a Roman sword. And we can read it over. And we're used to it. We're accustomed to it. There's no other religion like this. None. Anywhere in the world, no other religion like this. Where the one comes from glory and goes to hell in front of the eyes of the people that he wants to save. And so when I think today about the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ, I feel that it's going to have to begin with these established congregations which have their ways of doing things every, every month. And Christians are going to have to become overwhelmed with emotion as they recognize that the true God has sent his son to a cross for their salvation. I sometimes wish, please excuse me for saying this, um, in fact, I'd almost be one or one, I would deny it, uh, but I, I wish we had a war again. Many of us who are here, we remember the war, Second World War, Korean conflict, Vietnam, remember those. Remember what is, some of you veterans, you remember what it was like when you had that last meal with your parents before you went into the military, which was fighting at the moment. And when you embraced your fiance, knowing deep down inside that you might never embrace her again. Those were emotional times. Those affected people, they changed them. 
And we need to stand at Calvary and look at it and see our Savior. And this text, which we've learned for so long, tells us, don't think that God could just do that, just send his only begotten Son into the world, his one and only Son, for your salvation. This is what the Christian faith is. It's about a God who is emotional. And he created the world. And then he sent his son to save us. I look over those of you who are here this morning and uh, I know that many of you have been Christians for a long time. Many, many years. And there gets to be a certain rhythm about it. it just, it's amazing what human beings can get used to. What they can get accustomed to. That they can simply say, well, it gives us the way it is. And we've done it before. We can do it again. And I think that our mission will become strong again. Our mission, yes, when, I th when I'm with these Russian people, when I hear them talk, when we see miracles happen before our very eyes, a person high in the secret police of Russia becoming a Christian, all these things, we can be impressed. But ordinarily, we control our emotions very carefully. And we must, of course, we're civilized people. But we here, this building, these people, this place, this must be part of God's mission field. This must be a people who are so alive to the wonder of God's hanging on a cross, letting the blood of his son be shed and observed by people who hated him. That God must be the one who motivates us, who gives us our energy, who gives us our strength, who makes us understand, look, after all, it's said and done. Our mission is the most important thing that we do. Now, there might be some who would say, well, that's going a lot little far, and we could begin to discuss, yes, we would begin to discuss it. And we would find ourselves satisfied with the way things are, the way things are going on. But we're living in a world in which the end is coming soon. The end. 
And when the end begins to come, God makes clear to us that that will be a day when we will be astonished to see him gather in the lost. Think of China, for example, right now. What is it? Forty million, it's a tremendously high number of people were coming to Jesus. The government really doesn't know exactly what to do about it because the government is professedly atheistic. But they're coming to Jesus. And the missionaries which you sponsor in your churches, you receive information from them, you discover that the, the exciting thing about God's mission is that precisely those whom you never expected to succumb to this the message of grace, they're the ones who do. Their barriers are broken down. I wasn't going to mention this this morning, but I, 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 I'm going to. I feel led to do that. I had an experience once sitting across a table from Gorbachev. And there were several other Christians there they were there. And we gave him a Russian Bible. And he took it in his hand. And he opened it. And he paged through it. And he was only supposed to be with us Christians about 20 minutes. He was actually with us closer to 40, 45. But here was Gorbachev, the leader of that nation, with the Bible in his hand, and he took the time to say to us, I'm not really a believer in this Bible. I'm not really a believer in it. But my wife is. Raisa, she is a believer in this Bible. His voice was low. He looked right at each one of us. And he explained that, well, you know, not everybody becomes a Christian. But my wife did. Raisa has since died, as some of you may know, but my wife did. And I carry that experience sort of in my mind. I can see him as clearly as I can see you here just now. And I, I can hear his voice again, speaking through an interpreter, of course. The truth is, this Bible is the greatest power in the world. And before Christ comes back on the clouds of glory, we may be sure that he is going to use his word, the message of salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation which assures us 
of the resurrection of Jesus, the message of salvation, which assures us that Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead. That reality is the most important reality that is operating in the world today. All the stuff we read about politics and whatnot else in our newspapers and we listen to the way the politicians insult one another. We may look at it and say, oh, this is really something that this is, well, it is something. But it is nothing compared to what our great God is doing right now in his mission throughout the world, in Africa, in China, in so many places. And we must want to be a part of this within our very community in which we live and simply go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and assure people. What does it say again exactly? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, my big problem and your big problem is that I've heard these things since I was a child over and over again. But it says here, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to perish. You're going to go to hell. And God gives us the great responsibility to bring that great word of grace, the power of the risen Christ who sent his spirit. Why did he send his spirit? To make us happy once in a while? To give us comfort when someone dies? Yes, that's all part of it. But he gave us his spirit so that we can represent Jesus. And through our testimony, they will come and confess their sins as we must confess ours every day. And he will be honored by their faith. And I guess the worst thing to think about as we think of all of this is this. If we can't be excited about John 3.16, possibly we ourselves must repent and come to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness.
so that we will have the power to represent him in this world today. Amen. Oh, Lord, our God, we have thought about some very important things this morning. As we have read and thought about a statement which was first expressed by Jesus' lips when he took the time to tell us that he in his presence in this world is an expression of the love of the God who created all. Oh Lord, speak to our hearts. We pray that as we think about these things, we will rededicate ourselves to the great task of bringing the gospel to the world. And the world begins right next door with anyone who's never come to Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us in this great ministry. We pray in your name. Amen.